Integrators are key in safeguarding IoT. Cedia advises in the Cyber Trust Mark comments with uh, the FCC in the U.S. I I do have to give them some commendation. We're 15 years removed from uh, what is the senator calling the internet a series of tubes. They're trying to start to understand it. They're 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 trying. You don't seem to know jack about computers or the internet. <laughs> but hey, that's okay. You're just. You're just the guy in charge of regulating it. So we talk adding light commercial, private cinema, and the US government's cyber trust marks. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. This is Resi Week, episode 407, Series of Tubes. Welcome to this episode of Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for Aviation.tv, and this week I'm pleased to be joined by two of my good friends. First, we have Mr. Paul Williams. He's the Managing Director of the Home Management Business Unit over at NICE. How are you doing, Paul? Hey, Matt. It's great to be here. I'm doing fantastic. Excellent. Thanks for joining us. Then uh, we have Mitchell Tulin. He is my producer here at Aviation because it's following Thanksgiving, uh, so he's stepping in and stepping up today. How are you doing, Mitch? It's great to be here, Matt. I'm sorry for everyone else. Excellent. All right. First of all, hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, if you were in the U.S. or if you kind of piggyback on it like I do, um, and hopefully your weekend was great and you didn't spend a boatload on uh, Black Friday or Cyber Monday. All right. Let's kick this off with a story that comes to us from CE Pro. And Pete Baker is now time to add light commercial projects to your portfolio as housing and renovations are dipping. Customers are spending more on entertainment and restaurants again. So it's a ripe time to explore light commercial or the resi commercial markets and prospects. Go read through the article. Um, it, it is a good one. And, you know, Pete does cover some some really good things as far as a explaining what like commercial is because to be honest not everyone is aware of that um but they go through a bunch of cool things as far as uh becoming educated in new products and vendors and how you can establish credibility with your expertise in kind of this new vertical paul what i wanted to start with you on with this one is light commercial or resi-mercial um is always kind of just touted as like an add-on and you can just add this vertical on, do, you know, keep doing what you're doing and just get into the commercial market. And as someone who came from that side before we got into Resi, there are there, there are some vast differences, even in light commercial or Resi commercial, between how you not only run the project, but also the application, the products you use, uh, the engineering, the safety. There, there are so many things involved in in commercial environments that aren't there in residential. How do you go about learning the proper methods and methodologies of working in commercial environments? Well, I think the first time, and I think you're, you're absolutely correct. It's one of those things that uh, we saw, and, and if we can give you a step, step back to the last, last downturn when we had the 2008, 2009, had all mm -hmm. of the housing crisis and people are going, Oh, get go get commercial. You go get commercial. It's gonna it's gonna be able to get your business to float along until residential comes back again. 
And and I think a lot of dealers and integrators tried it and found out it wasn't as easy as as people were saying. Just go just go ahead and start doing that. Um, so uh, there's there's a couple of things that I would suggest. First one is is you need to learn about it. So you've got to go spend some time uh, in understanding uh, what's going on there. Infocom, you know, has some great information that's out there mm-hmm. about what's going on in that commercial environment. You need to understand what the customers want and what they need in that space. And it could be very simple. I mean, it could be just like a professional office space where I'm just providing distributed audio to a lawyer office, a law office, or to a doctor's office. And that's that's simple enough. You can figure that out and make that work. Or it could be very complex where I'm going into a sports bar and they've got 100 televisions and they want to have mm-hmm. the ability for all 100 televisions to watch 100 unique things, right? Um, and now I'm really complex. And then how are they controlled and who has access to that control? Um, so it gets very complex, very, very, very quickly. And so you need to, you need to understand uh, that environment. So you're going to have to learn about what, what those environments are. Um, I would say the biggest thing is just like a residential project and the fact that you can get in over your head pretty quickly. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, know your limits, know what you can and can't do. Um, and, and then once you've, once you've done that, you're going to have to lean on your, your partners at the same time too. And those, your, your, uh, providers, the manufacturers that you work with. And we do that with our, with our dealers and our dealer base. Uh, we provide information back to them. They ask questions about, you know, what have you, have you done these types of projects? What do we need to be aware of? And we'll give them the the things they should be aware of. And we'll also help them through those projects same time too. But my biggest advice is learn about the customer, learn about what their wants and needs are just like I would as if it was a residential customer. But then secondly, um, also know you're probably not going to use the same products um, in some, some of them will, but you're probably products you're not carrying today that you will need to carry in order to be able to take on that project. You need to understand what those are and do you have access to them? Do you know how to use them? Are you going to be able to implement them correctly? And are you going to be able to provide that environment that, that customer wants at the end of the day and don't get in over your head? Yeah, that's a great point. All right, Mitch. Um, we've been running this show a long time. We've been talking about getting into resumercial or light commercial for a long time. Is is now the time or was it three years ago or four years ago when we started? Is this just one of those things that our industry just continues to push no matter what the, uh, uh, the external influences are? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, because I was thinking this, and I was always going to answer your question with a another question, Perfect. more rhetorical. But I don't, I can't think of anyone that we've had on as an integrator who doesn't do yeah. commercial and side. I don't. I was. Is there anybody who's just strictly exclusively residential? Because there's a handful. Okay, there's some. But again, they're super niche. And I don't know if that's because I'm too young for it. But I don't know if that's because. That in 2008, the market was drying up and we had, they had to jump over, you know, everyone likes that pivot word, um, but it's, and it's older than the pandemic, but it seems like that's just, you should be doing some light commercial. I don't think there is, I mean, now that I've been immediately contradicted, there are primarily residential people, but I think you should just have your, um, your stuff. You should know how to do light commercial and you should do res commercial. Um, I think honestly, maybe it's just that the way that the reason that resimercial is such a hated word for some integrators is just because that line is blurring. And I think maybe that's just kind of where we're at, where you need to know how to do both uh, instead of just being stuck in one niche. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right. Speaking of 
niches <laughs> and companies that just do likely residential. This comes to us from Residential Systems, Navigating the Private Cinema Evolution, a deep dive with Ryan Brown, a maestro of private cinema design. Um, go read through the article. Uh, it, it's kind of an interview by, by Sam of uh, Ryan Brown, who's the CEO of Paradise Theater. And they they kind of cover Ryan's entire, uh, you know, start to finish as far, maybe not finish, but um, the biography of how they got to where they are and the level of private cinema that they are now doing, uh, as well as the, the inclusion of RP22 uh, coming out from Cedia that's really kind of setting some, some standards, uh, some additional standards for the private cinema world. So go read through the article. It, it, it's honestly a, a very good article. Mitch, let me, let me start with you on this. We talk about private cinema a little bit, but not a ton because it is so, so niche. Do you think from the products that we're seeing, uh, things like RP22, uh, some of the stuff that, that we saw at Cedia this year, do you expect to see this niche expanding or is this going to just kind of maintain the the niche that is private cinema um that that has always been there it depends i hate that answer but i think it is kind of what it you should expect because it it depends on where you are i think where i'm at in st louis um not a lot of private cinemas uh, going up, you know, some of these pictures I see and I look at this and I'm like, I'm never going to be afford able to afford a fraction of this room uh, in any sense. But, you know, if you're on the West Coast with these very nice houses or um, around the East Coast in, in some of these places, you've got uh, the means for it. Um, I think they're the divide might grow farther you know you've got your super high-end luxury things and those integrators are going to do one or two of those jobs a year and mm -hmm. pretty much be set um between the regular stuff that we're doing or, or that you're doing of installing things in a home um i think that gap is just going to stay there yeah that's a good point all right paul um and i'm not trying to sound negative on this on this niche. I love this niche and I would love to work uh, more in this niche than we currently do. But there are, you know, there are some companies like Paradise that they live in this space. Um, Rich Fragosa lives in this space. Uh, Dennis Erskine lives yeah. in this space. Is there, there, there seemed to be a point where, not to say that private cinema was becoming affordable, but there was a point where, you know, the, the projection costs had come down. You were getting ridiculously good projectors that used to be six figures. And now they were, you know, 50 grand, not, not becoming. Mitch is still going. That's not really affordable. Oh my God. It's not affordable for me either, but you know, like it, it, it went from being the price of a decent luck or sorry. It went from being like Bentley price to being like a decent luxury car price, right? You could get into the cinema world. We're now talking direct view LED. We're talking um, some of the, the waveforming stuff that we saw from Trinoff um, that, that came out of Cedia. Again, things that are complying with uh, RP22. Amazing spec. 
but the, the costs are going up substantially. Is this market, does it have a true way forward? Or is this going to just continue to delve, kind of as Mitch was saying, into that 1% of the 1% that can really play in this space? Well, it's a good question. Um, we've seen, you know, private cinema over the last, you know, couple of decades that I've been involved in in the connected home and the connected space. We've seen it ebb and flow. Um, we've seen where, mm -hmm. you know, I, I didn't see a new home build that didn't have a have a theater built into it or a cinema built into it uh, with risers and everything, the chairs and the whole bit. And and then we kind of ebb and flowed away that and went to uh, entertainment, listening rooms, multi-purpose space that still had great audio, still had great video, but it was more of a multi-purpose space that could also be lived in. It wasn't just for this, you, me, I'm going to there for with one purpose. It could be used as a variety of, of functions. And then we've seen that kind of ebb back into, into, I would say, popularity, but never really exit. If, if I think about true high-end home cinema, never really exit mm -hmm. out, of, out of that niche of, of really serving that 1%. And I think the costs, while you said that, you know, they've come down a little bit, there's always been for the audiophile, for the videophile who wanted the ultimate experience, there has always been the next technology, 4K, 8K, wherever we go, the, the, the better and, and greater audio, there's always been that next thing. I could always spend a lot of money on those, on those cinemas. And I, 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 I know integrators, as you mentioned, a few there and, and others that literally you know, that is their business. They do high-end home mm -hmm. cinemas. That is their business. If they also have to do some control or also have to do some distributed audio as, as part of that, it's a sub to the rest of their business, but their their primary business is creating these amazing theaters and, and cinema experiences, which you see when you go to the CD Awards and, and you see the pictures of these things. And Mitch, to your point, you know, I will never be able to afford one of those likely in my life, in my lifetime, and that that's okay. Uh, but I think that, that that will always exist. I don't think that that business is going away. And for those dealers that are focused in on that business, I think there's an opportunity for them. Um, and there will always be new technologies coming along to make bigger, better audio, bigger, better video. And so I think it's okay for a focus. I would say if every one of our, if the integrators are listening to this, this podcast and listen to the others, if they were all go, that is where I'm heading. It, it would be a mistake because there's just not enough. There's just not enough market there to mm -hmm. sustain that. Um, not only that, but then the expertise that's necessary to provide that experience is something that comes over a long period of time. I, you, you've been in those cinemas. I've been in those cinemas. Yeah. You can tell the difference when you go in there and it's just so finely tuned. You feel the music, you feel the audio, you see the video. It's a different experience. And, and it, it takes a certain person to be able with expertise to be able to deploy that and to be able to deliver that kind of experience where I'm going to spend what I would spend for a Bentley on that room. Do you think that the divide between cinema and home theater is going to grow dramatically or just, again, kind of maintain what it has been uh, in the past? My expectation is that we'll continue to see that divide stay where it's at. I think that there will always be a place uh, for that person, for that uh, individual wants that high-end cinema experience as compared to a, a normal home theater or a listening room experience. And I, and I think that, that we'll continue to see the percentages 
be close to the same. I don't expect that that divide grows dramatically. I think it's going to stay where it has been. And it will ebb and flow slightly. But even over the last 20 years, as I've looked at it, the ebb and flow of that has been like, you know, sub 10% of movement either direction. Yeah. It just doesn't move yeah. a lot. It's not like suddenly everybody moved to, to home cinema or everybody moved off of home cinema into home theater. It's the divide will exist. It will continue to be existing. It will ebb and flow a little bit between, like I said, you know, sub 10% back and forth, um, depending on what's what's happening. And it really has a lot a lot to do with with several factors that I that I build into that home construction and home design, I think, mm-hmm. plays a big part of that. Uh, we start to see a lot more of these open floor plans and, and segregating a room off that does nothing but that is, is not the actually what I'm seeing. I'm seeing more open space, more open floor plans as we look at new homes that are being built. Um, and so I continue to see less and less of those rooms that are special purpose rooms. Yeah, that's a really good point. I know every time we get sent uh, a set of prints and they're they're wanting design input as as they're trying to plan this out, there's always the conversation of, you know, we want the media room, the, the, the theater room, the cinema room, whatever they call it, downstairs. And you, you, you roll the plans out and go, okay, well, you're going to need some walls. And they go, no, 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 no. I'm like, okay, so you want an entertainment room. The, the whole downstairs. <laughs> and you look at it and you go, okay, so we got to figure out what terms we're talking. <laughs> I think that's the level set part of that as well that has to happen with consumers about yeah. what is a theater, what is a cinema? What are the what are those two things? Even for dealers, I would say, there's there's always some debate about what yep. those two things are. Yeah, I always uh, ask my customers to tell me what they think it is and we'll go with that. And that'll be what we work with. Customer's always right. Exactly. Uh, as long as the checks cash and then they're not. All right. Um, let's hit the last story that comes to us from CE Pro. Integrators are key in safeguarding IoT. CD advises in the Cyber Trust Mark comments with uh, the FCC in the US. Um, very long and short, uh, Darren Riemann, uh, who works over uh, for government affairs at Cedia, uh, who anytime I ask is the most important person that works at Cedia by far. Uh, sorry to, to Daryl, but uh, Darren is 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 the most important person that that, that works there. And uh, everyone in our industry should really know his name and applaud him for all the work he does. Um, but he uh, submitted a bunch of comments to the FCC uh, in the, the the fleshing out of their program for cybersecurity, uh, which is going to be similar to kind of like the Energy Star label that you get on your appliances, showing that they comply with those those energy ratings. The Cyber Trust Mark is going to certify uh, consumer IoT devices that uh, essentially outlines that they are maintaining or meeting a certain standard that will be outlined by the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Paul, this is this is fantastic that that Darren uh, wrote in some some comments and submitted some comments, uh, essentially highlighting the fact that that Cedia is the best organization and has the best personnel to be able to help ensure that this is is being installed properly and, and applied properly, et cetera, et cetera. As a manufacturer. Does this mark do, does it do enough? What CD's role in it, can can that be expanded? How is this going to kind of flesh out uh, from, from your standpoint as a manufacturer? 
Yeah, I think it's, uh, well, I applaud it. First of all, I think it's, it's a good initiative. I, and once again, I appreciate the work that CD is doing on behalf of the industry and continues to do on behalf of the industry, because I think it continues to show the validity of what we're doing and, and the industry I'm very passionate about as well. So I appreciate everything that they do, including all of the government action and everything that's happening there. Um, I think this program um, starts to address one of the concerns we've seen that's come from the consumers and, and from uh, even myself. Um, as you bring these new mm -hmm. devices into your house, have you suddenly opened up a hole of, of privacy concern for you and your family? And I think there are enough stories uh, that are more than just stories. They're proven facts of, of these incidents that happen where, where your data, your personal images, your video, your audio are exposed um, to people that shouldn't be exposed to that, that information it should be your data. It's private. It's about you. And so it, it certainly is an issue that consumers are, are thinking about. And so if this, if this helps in providing, um, some comfort, um, to those consumers about what that is, I think that's great. Um, I think there's a, there's a couple of challenges that go along with it at the same time. And then we can come back maybe to the, to your original question. First one is, is customer consumer awareness. So where's the consumer awareness going to come from? Energy star did a bunch of work. And if you go to an appliance store, you go to, well, anywhere you can buy appliances, there's a big sticker yeah. that's on these device on the, on the utility says you can save that, 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 this is the energy consumption over time. That's all part of what's energy star. It's where it's on light bulbs. It's on everything that you get that shows that. And so there's a bunch of consumer and in investment in, or this gone into advertising to educate a consumer about that. So my question will be, well, where's that, that education going to come from to, if I'm a, at a store, or if I'm talking to a dealer and I start to ask, is your, are the devices you installing compliant to this standard? I have to actually know that that standard exists. Um, mm -hmm. Or the dealer is going to have to do a bunch of education about, okay, I'm putting selling products, but they only conform to this, this criteria. And I think there's going to be some push and pull that go along with that. I think it'll take time, but my question is going to be, where's the education going to come from to, to help educate a consumer about that validity for me as a manufacturer? Um, I, once again, I, I will, we're definitely been, we've been looking at and trying to understand more about the program so that we can participate because I do think it's something that we should be part of. I think it's something that will, if, if nothing for the sheer fact that helps give us comfort that our products have been tested to a standard that allows us to be able to declare we have private, we have uh, pro products that we're providing consumers have their privacy in, in, in mind. And so whether or not they know about it or not, gives me some peace of mind of knowing the products that mm -hmm. we're providing to consumers are providing that level of privacy for consumers, which we wholly um, uphold is that we want to make sure that our consumers feel like what they have is very private and that they're not being shared to others that shouldn't have that information. Long-winded answer there to your question. No, no, that's that's a fantastic answer. Uh, Mitch, wrap this up for us and uh, put a bow on it. <laughs> Energy Star carries a little bit of weight, right? But people mostly love it from the fact of, oh, if I get this dishwasher, it's going to cost me $37 a year if I run it every day. I don't know how they quantify security in such a black and white way, right? If they can't find a way to quantify that, that the average user will understand, do you think this will hold any weight with, the, again, the average consumer? I don't know. I think maybe there's a little bit of it. I mean, 
but to be fair, um, most of the time they, you see stickers on on things all the time, and it's just kind of like, great, I don't know what this means. You know, that's probably where you're where you're headed on that thing. Of I, uh, it sure seems neat. I I do have to give them some commendation. We're 15 years removed from uh, what was the senator calling the internet a series of tubes that they're they're trying to start to understand it. They're 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 trying. That's the important thing. I think back when it was like what 2018, 2019, when net neutrality was yeah. uh, the issue, there were the the questions being asked during those things were so trivial that you're like, these are the people that are that are uh, setting these things up, and they have no idea how the internet works. They have no idea how security and networks at all. This to me uh, feels like they're actually trying to give a crap, um, for lack of a better word. Um, and I think if I saw this on a thing, I don't know if it would influence me. I don't know. I'd say, wow, this new, this router has a cyber trust mark on it. I'm sure I want to get that one. I think I'd be more inclined to say, hey, this one says Nightgear on it. So I want that. Ding. <laughs> I don't think they actually sponsor us. So I don't no, know. that'd be great if they did, though. <laughs> Put, putting a plug in there. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. I don't know if it'll work or not, but I think it's a good step forward. Um, and if CDO wants to get involved and, you know, someone who actually knows what they're doing can say, here is what matters in a secure device, then I'm all for it. Just to throw my two cents into this. Um, I love what they're trying to do. I hope they can find a way to market it effectively and to set a standard for it that has some weight with it because my my concern is that to to get adoption they're going to set a, a standard that is so low like the bare minimum um i remember a couple of years ago uh, a couple of the manufacturers were trying to push a system where essentially across the board anything that required a login would use the serial number of the device so that you physically had to have the serial number to do that initial login. And that met with so much um, frustration. And I know there's some reasons why, as Paul's nodding his head. Um, yep. But it was the, you know, we've already got a generic password on all of these and we are not changing it because it's hard. <laughs> so I, I, I hope that they can get above the bare minimum or at least raise that bare minimum to a point where uh, the average user is not locked out of them uh, or, or finds it overly complicated, but uh, provides them with some level of uh, basic security, which will be great. And um, knowing that, you know, Darren's working on this, uh, the the people over at Knights are working on this um, as far as from, from their end and every other manufacturer is playing with this as well. It'll be really good to hopefully see this come to fruition. All right, um, let's wrap it up there. Thank you both so much for joining us. Paul, if people want to connect with you, learn more about NICE, where can they do that? So if they want to reach out to me, I'm always happy to uh, talk to folks in the industry and, and around. Um, I can be reached at paul.williams at nice4u.com, and that's all spelled out, N-I-C-E-F-O-R-Y-O-U.com. Or if they want to find out more about what we're doing at NICE, come see us at nice4u.com. 
take a look around. We've got some really good things we're working on and really exciting things we've got for the future. Awesome. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, Mitch, if people want to connect with you, uh, learn more about aviation, all of those things, uh, where can they do that? Yeah, see, for the former part, I would say don't. I I prefer being in the background, um, <laughs> if I'm being quite honest. Uh, but instead, go check out aviation.tv, uh, where you can find shows like Resi Week, um, stuff like State of Control for control system programming, uh, Women in AV, which is all about the women in the AV industry, as you may imply, and a lot of other shows. And while you're there, check out our underwriters. They're the ones who support us and get us our nice Thanksgiving turkeys on the table. Uh, so check them out and we would be ever so grateful. Uh, thank you for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, uh, you can find me on Twitter or X at Matt D. Scott and most other social platforms. But more importantly, please visit aviation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. Hello, this is Steve Greenblatt, host of AV Nation's State of Control podcast. Each month, Rich Fergosa and I explore trending topics, foundational subject matter related to control programming and automation in the audiovisual industry. We speak with a variety of AV professionals who share their perspective, knowledge, and experiences. Please join us for this monthly conversation. Check out A State of Control on avnation.tv or wherever you get your podcasts. This is AV Nation.